following is a presentation of Broadway Church in Vancouver, British Columbia. For additional media, visit broadwaychurch.com. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Mick Nelson. I'm one of the pastors here at Broadway Church, and I am a secret computer geek. Okay, I'm sorry. Get cats out of the bag. I know you're shocked. You're surprised. I sometimes have um, developed a reputation of being considered the cat lady of broken computers, okay? Now, you know what a cat lady is? That's somebody who, you know, hasn't ever met a stray cat that she couldn't love and gathers them into their home 40, 50, 60 at a time. I'm sort of the cat lady of broken computers. I've never met a broken or discarded piece of technology that I didn't think I could restore to usefulness. Uh, I've got no formal training, I'll be totally honest with you, Uh, only a desire and a passion for making things work. And this hidden passion uh, brought two identical broken computers into my life, each of them broken in complementary ways. Now what does that mean? It means that, as I thought about it, if I could take those both apart and put together the pieces that were working, I could have one functioning computer. And so that was the plan, that was the goal, that was what I was going to do, uh, reduce it to parts, build one working computer. Now for two years, I tried to complete this project. Sitting down several times to do this wonder of technical surgery. But every time I was turned back by an obstacle, the inability to take things apart without ruining and ending up with nothing but junk. And then one day, I had my son over and uh, he looked over the project. I'd just about come to the point where I was just gonna give up on it and throw everything into recycling. And he looked over my shoulder and he said, well, I can tell you right now why you're not having any success. And I look at him, you know, with only a father can look at a son who all of a sudden is making out like, you know, they're smarter than you. He said, the reason you can't do anything here is because you've got the wrong tools. You've got six-pointed screws and you're trying to use a five-pointed screwdriver. That's why nothing's working for you. Who knew? I couldn't get the job done because I didn't have the right tools. And with the right tools, when I received them, what had stalled me for two years was remedied in about 20 minutes. Using the right tools made all the difference in the world. But I'm not the only one who has faced an impossible task, a task that I wasn't equipped to complete. The original followers of Jesus were giving a daunting task as well that was beyond their human ability. Before Jesus left his disciples, after his resurrection, he gave them this task of continuing the work that he had begun. And that mission has been passed down from generation to generation of Christ followers to this very day, to this moment, to this very room. At Broadway, we describe that task as producing fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. When people become what God has made them to be, they can accomplish the things that God has called them to do. But the task of helping people to know and follow Jesus isn't an easy one. The mission to make Jesus known in the world is complicated by a number of factors that we face every day. There's the powerful attraction of cultural values that are being preached to us 24-7. There's the spiritual condition of imperfect Christ followers, I being one of them. The real opposition of contrary spiritual forces is another complicating issue. And the skepticism of people who are yet to follow Jesus, it's a bit of an uphill climb. 
And in the face of this challenge, God has given the followers of Jesus the power to make a difference. We have been given the dream of a lifetime, the opportunity to live a supernatural life. One of Jesus' earliest followers, Peter, put it this way. He said his divine power, that is God's divine power, has given us everything, everything we need for a godly life through the knowledge of him who called us according to his own glory and goodness. Over the last several weeks in this series that we've called the Holy Spirit University, We have tried to give you a window on how this supernatural power for life can be found and what it looks like and how we can access it. And one of the expressions of this supernatural life comes in the form of what the Bible talks about as spiritual gifts. Now, spiritual gifts are like tools that enable Christ followers to complete the work that Jesus has called them to do. It enables them to do things in the pursuit of Christ's missions that they would not be able to do simply on their own. When you have the right tools, anything is possible. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about spiritual gifts, how they work and how we can use them, and I'm going to try to compact into about 25 minutes what some people take two or three day seminars to unfold, and so I'm just gonna kind of give you a top of the waves introduction to what spiritual gifts is all about. And I wanna answer these questions. What is a spiritual gift anyway? What in the world are you talking about? Where do spiritual gifts come from? Where are they sourced? Why do these gifts even exist in the first place? And what kind of gifts really are available? I'm gonna try to cover those bases in the time we have left together. Perhaps the most foundational information about spiritual gifts is given to us by the Apostle Paul in a letter he wrote to the believers in a city called Corinth. Now, the Corinthians were no strangers to different religions, and teachers who claim to have supernatural abilities. That wasn't new. Even today, there is a tremendous interest and openness to otherworldly experiences. But the Corinthians had also experienced a supernatural power from God that made everything else they had seen pale by comparison. They had received the Holy Spirit and had become newcomers to this exercise of the spiritual gifts, but without a real clear understanding of what they were experiencing. And in their lack of understanding, they were putting way too much emphasis on one gift to neglect of all the others. And this was causing discord and confusion as it does even today when this happens in the Christian community. It was like that second birthday that I had when my dad, you know, just waiting for the moment, bought me this incredible metal Tonka truck at some expense. And one of my other relatives had given me like a 99 cents plastic telephone. And that Christmas morning, I just loved that telephone. And I just hung on to that telephone and my dad was somewhat dismayed that I didn't appreciate the truck. Well, that's what was happening in Corinth. They had latched onto one gift to the neglect of all the rest. So Paul writes out to sort the confusion sort out the confusion, and explain what spiritual gifts uh, are really all about. So this is how he begins in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, I'm in verse one, and here's what Paul writes. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. And then I want to jump down to verse four. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Well, isn't that interesting? So what is a spiritual gift? Good question. When we talk about giving gifts, 
when somebody gives something to another, regardless of their motive for giving it, um, the Greeks had a word for that. It was called doron. So what we typically think of as gifts, doron was the Greek word that kind of was given to that sort of thing. But that is not the words that Paul uses here when he talks about spiritual gifts. The two words he does use tell us something very important about how special these gifts are. So number one, if you're following along on the outline, they are spiritual by nature. One Greek word Paul uses here is called pneumatica, and it literally means spirituals indicating their essential nature. They're not the products of human personality or ability. They are something other. They're not natural. They are supernatural. They are spiritual. So when he uses that word in verse one, he's saying God has given spirituals these gifts. That was the word that we use to interpret that to his church. And then secondly, they're gifts. That's what goes in the second blind. They're not rewards. They're not badges of merit or badges of status. The word Paul most often used to describe spiritual gift is charismata, and it literally means gracelets. Pneumatica means spirituals, charismata means gracelets, or something given by grace, unmerited favor. It is the same root word as the word charity. It's not something that is earned, it is something that is received. Now what is unique about spiritual gifts is the active involvement of the Holy Spirit. Spiritual gifts are evidence or demonstration that God the Holy Spirit is working in us, enabling us to do what we couldn't do otherwise. And exercising these gifts means doing something with the Spirit's supernatural help that you couldn't do on your own. A spiritual gift is an ability the Holy Spirit empowers in your life that shows up in a frequent and effective way as you engage your calling as a follower of Jesus. It is obvious to others and it is something that happens in your life with some frequency and and effectiveness. The Holy Spirit, according to the Bible, gives to each follower, just as he determines, a gift that may benefit the community of Christ's people so that it would be built up and equipped to accomplish its task. No one Christ follower has all of the gifts that the Holy Spirit, that the Bible talks about, but no one believer is without at least one of the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given them to use. And when every believer brings his gift or gifts to the task, Jesus' purposes are accomplished in an amazing way. Uh, I used to love going to church potlucks, what about you? Yeah? Uh, In smaller churches, we used to do this all the time. And there were always certain people who had, you know, expertise in certain things, like Aunt Mary and her Swedish meatballs. Whenever there was a church potluck, I used to pray, Lord, let Aunt Mary bring her Swedish meatballs. I mean, she had a gift for bringing those meatballs. If the meatballs weren't there, it just wasn't quite the same potluck as it was when they were there. And that's the kind of idea. The Holy Spirit equips all of us with a gift that we need to bring to the party or to the potluck as it were, and everybody's gift is important. Ways that God uniquely uses you to help the body accomplish its task. Now both Peter and Paul expected that the exercise of spiritual gifts would be normal occurrences among God's people. They're meant to be practical, functional, and should be expected to be evident in a healthy Christian community. They help Christ's followers respond to the needs and circumstances and relationships every day. 
When everybody uses the spiritual gifts the Holy Spirit has been given, when they use them properly, something supernatural takes place. The church grows in love and maturity and God's mission gets accomplished. So what is a spiritual gift? It's a special ability the Holy Spirit gives you with some frequency and effectiveness to accomplish your calling, what he's given you to do. Well, where do these gifts come from? Where are they sourced? Well, spiritual gifts, if you're following along on your outline, are given directly by God, as the Holy Spirit directs. They are not merely natural talents that have been uh, supercharged or sharpened. Now, I have read in the literature that with 10,000 hours of practice, you and I can become world-class at anything we undertake in the area of music or medicine or sports. If you will commit 10,000 hours of dedicated practice, you can be world-class in just about anything. I know you're doing the math, you're breaking it into days and and months and so on and so forth. But 10,000 hours, that is not what Paul is talking about here. He's not talking about putting in your 10,000 hours. These are supernatural abilities that have been observed and affirmed by the Christian community. They're things that people notice. They're not sourced by human ability, but they are expressions of God's grace and power. Uh, I just recently filled my car with gas. I think it was like $1.60 or some other ridiculous amount. And uh, I appreciate the fact that it's available. And you know, you sort of figure out where does this gas come from? Well, it doesn't really come from the gas station, by the way. And it doesn't even come from the refiner who sent it to the gas station. And it doesn't even come from the extractor that sent it to the refiner that sent it to the gas station. It starts in the ground where geological forces accumulating over thousands of years have oppressed you know, animal and biological matter into these deposits of coal and deposits of oil. That's the source of oil. The source of oil is in the ground. We receive it through several different processes. And this is what Paul is trying to help us understand. These are gifts empowered by one and the same spirit, he says in verse 11. That's where they come from. That's where they're sourced. And of course, this is where my metaphor of the computer repair breaks down. I can buy the tools I need to fix the computer. It's my choice. But the tools I need to do what Christ has called me to do come completely from the spirit of God. They're sourced in him. It is his choice. He knows what he wants me to do and what I need to do it. So we've talked about what a spiritual gift is and where spiritual gifts come from. So what are they for? Why did they exist? Well, Paul puts it this way in verse seven. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for a common good. That's an important line in understanding what spiritual gifts is all about. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Spiritual gifts are not meant to be curiosities, kind of like Johnny Flame in uh, the Fantastic Four uh, initial film where he's kind of lighting up everything. He's so enamored with this new power that he's gotten. It's not a curiosity. Uh, It's not meant to be controversial. But they are supernatural abilities given by the Spirit for us to use for God's purposes, not our own. Spiritual gifts, according to Paul, are what he calls manifestations. That's what goes in the blank. They're manifestations of grace, enabling us to equip us to serve others. The word manifestation means something that is perceived, something that can be seen, something that can be recognized and identified, uh, that you can understand with your mind. These gifts have tangible or noticeable effects. When spiritual gifts are in operation, um, it has a noticeable impact 
on the people around them who experience the benefit of it. The common function of each gift is the common good of everyone gathered. In a public gathering, the operation of a spiritual gift must be for the benefit of everybody present. That's important to understand. Paul really wants to underline that. If everyone is not built up by the manifestation of a spiritual gift when it shows up, then that gift is not being expressed in a manner fitting its purpose. It may look like a functioning gift, but it could be a gift that is being misused or abused. So what have we learned so far? A spiritual gift is a special attribute or ability given by God the Holy Spirit to the follower of Jesus to be used to encourage and equip the Christian community to fulfill Christ's mission. They are not superpowers, but they are supernatural. They're not badges of status, they are tools of servanthood. They're not entitlements, but they are enablements for service. They're not mine to possess, yours to possess, they're ours to practice. And this brings us to our final question. What kinds of spiritual gifts can we expect? What should we be looking for? What do they look like? And Paul helps us here. He says, um, for to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit and to another faith by the same spirit and to another gifts of healing by one spirit and to another the working of miracles to another prophecy to another ability to distinguish between spirits to various kinds of tongues to the interpretation of tongues all of these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. In this passage, Paul gives us a snapshot of the kinds of spiritual gifts that we can look for and expect. Now this is not a definitive list, it's not a complete list of all the gifts that the Bible talks about. Paul talks about spiritual gifts in other places in his writings, but is a representative list that'll help us understand the nature and impact of spiritual gifts. So when we look into the Holy Spirit's toolbox, what do we find? Well, here is Paul's description of some of the gifts that the Holy Spirit imparts, some of the ways the Spirit may want to use us in carrying out Christ's work. So here they are, kind of in rapid-fire fashion. There's the gift of wisdom, the God-given ability to exercise superior judgment at just the right time. The Apostle Paul uh, in Acts chapter 17, and by the way, all the Acts references in your outline refer to places where these gifts are demonstrated in the book of Acts. Paul walks into Athens and he is coming with the message of the gospel to a community that really has no uh, ready points of contact. Uh, they are believers in all kinds of gods and somehow Paul comes into this community thinking, how in the world do I build a bridge from where I am to where they are? And God gives him wisdom to begin with where his audience is. And so he says, you folks in Athens, I know that you respect a lot of different gods. He begins where they are and then he works his way back to the God of the gospel. God gave him unique wisdom to know just what to do in the city of Athens in order to create an opportunity for the gospel to be preached. And so a message of wisdom is when God supernaturally gives you an idea or a special understanding of a situation, the ability to connect the dots, as it were, that allows you to act appropriately and make good decisions. And then there's the gift of knowledge. The supernatural awareness, if you're still following along on your outline, of specific facts goes in the blank without the aid of the natural senses. This is access to accurate facts that you would not normally have otherwise. Uh, Pastor Darren came over when I was pastoring at uh, Glad Tidings Church in Victoria. He was our guest speaker. 
and he chose, as God directed him, to uh, have an altar call, as he often does at the very end, but he called a number of people just to line up across the front, and he was going to pray for them all individually. Okay, you get the scenario? And so the whole altar area was just packed with a whole line of people. Now, I knew most of these people. I knew who they were, I knew their backstory. I could have told you probably why most of them had come for prayer. Darren didn't know any of them. He didn't know any of their stories. And on that particular prayer occasion, I was his wingman. So I was his supporter in prayer. And so as we prayed for individual after individual, I was amazed how Darren spoke directly so often into the very specifics of the thing that that person was undergoing right then. And I knew how that person was receiving Darren's words. That is an exercise of the gift of knowledge. The Holy Spirit giving Darren information that he wouldn't have otherwise known, but was entirely appropriate to the people that he was ministering to. And then there is the gift of faith, that God-given confidence that produces extraordinary results. We read in the book of Acts, towards the end, that Paul is in a storm and it's not looking good. If you've ever been in a storm at sea, you know just how disconcerting that that can be. And yet, Paul, in faith, because of a vision that God had received, was able to say with confidence that even though it looked like it was going to be a disaster and all hands would be lost, he was able to say, listen, Everybody relax, this is gonna have a good ending. Yeah, we're gonna lose the boat, but everybody is gonna be saved. And so he takes that word of faith to encourage his group to carry on. It's a confidence that God is going to do what God says he is going to do in a particular situation. It's the gift of faith. And then there are gifts of healing. Not one gift, apparently, but several gifts of healing. That supernatural ability to banish human illness with a word. Now, keep in mind that it's God who heals anybody at the end of the day, but the Spirit uses some of us to mediate healing to others with unusual frequency and success. Now, I have prayed for people, and some have been healed, praise God, and some of them have not, and I don't know why my prayer didn't work as effectively for them. So I've seen both sides of that picture. But I also have encountered people along my spiritual journey who pray with some effectiveness and some frequency to pray for others in healing. In fact, if I had a need for supernatural healing, I would call a couple of them up because it seems God uses them uniquely uh, and imparting gifts of healing to people as they need it. Kind of a little um, foretaste of heaven right now. And then there's the gifts of miraculous powers. The immediate supernatural intervention by God goes in the blank into the normal course of the operation of the world as we know it. And so as you look in the book of Acts, you see there was an occasion where Peter raised somebody from the dead. There was an occasion where Paul raised somebody from the dead. Um, This is where God, who created everything and all the rules of science and all the rules to which our world works, sometimes intervenes in the normal um, uh, flow of things to do something specific. And so authentic miracles, they're sudden, they're dramatic, and they're rare. Some people have been gifted to uh, be used in this way by God in an unusual way. And then there's the gift of prophecy, the ability to declare God's thoughts at a given moment. I was uh, preaching in Dawson Creek. I've only preached in Dawson Creek once in my life. And uh, as I kind of finished my message and people were beginning to disperse, I could see a lady kind of, you know, kind of sidling up to the platform and she kept looking at me out of the corner of her eye. And I kind of picked up on the fact that she kind of wanted to talk to me, but she wasn't too sure if she should. And so I just kind of patiently watched her go through this agonizing sideways trip down the aisle. And so finally she comes up on the stage and she says, you don't know me and I don't know 
know you really well, but through that message, I felt that God had a word for you. And I thought, okay, this should be interesting. I didn't want to embarrass her, and I wanted to respect the fact that she followed through. And uh, she told me what was on her heart. She says, this is what I think the Lord wants to say to you right now. My jaw dropped. She spoke a word that directly addressed something that I was going through at that particular time, that I was having a hard time sorting out which way I should go. And when I received this message from her speaking specifically to that situation, it was a prophetic word from the Lord helping me to understand how he was understanding the situation and what I should do. And so prophecy is not always foretelling, sometimes it's just foretelling God's thoughts at any given moment. It's not limited to future events, but it's the declaration of God's thoughts and intentions. And then there's the gift and the ability to distinguish between spirits. The supernatural ability to recognize the source of things, or as your outline says, to recognize identities in the spiritual realm. To experience something, a phenomenon, and to be able to discern, is this from God? Is this just simply a human thing? Or is this from the devil? The gift of discernment, which is another name for this gift, is the one that allows you to know what's going on at that particular moment. When Paul was kind of harassed by a fortune teller in Acts chapter 16, after a period of time, the Holy Spirit gave Paul insight that this was demonically influenced. And once he understood what was going on, he was able to cast the demon out of that person and restore her to her right mind. And so um, it's supernatural insight into the source between, uh, behind a, an event or a phenomenon. And then there is the gift that the Corinthians loved, okay? They loved this gift. It was the gift of the ability to speak in different kinds of tongues. And of course, that's the supernatural ability to speak words in an unlearned, if you're following on your outline, an unlearned language. And it's meant to kind of encourage the soul and lift up the spirit. And this was the one gift that, you know, like kids in a candy store, the Corinthians thought, this is amazing. We can speak in other tongues. And it come to the point where it had become just madness whenever they got together, everybody kind of shouting off here, there, and every which way, everybody just having a grand old time exercising this gift, and Paul walks into the middle of the confusion and says, folks, folks, let me help you, you know, blow away the fog, blow away the smoke, and understand what this gift is all about. And so there is that opportunity from time to time in a small group or in a larger gathering where somebody has a word in tongues, a language they don't know, that is meant to benefit everybody in the group. And uh, the Bible says, Paul tells us later, there also needs to be an interpreter, which is our last gift, the ability to interpret tongues, somebody who knows intuitively and directly what's been communicated through a message in tongues. And those two gifts sort of belong together in a public meeting like this. In fact, Paul says, if you are given a word in tongues and you know there's no interpreter in the building, then don't say anything. It's you know under your direction. So these two things kind of go together. Now this is just a starter list of the spiritual gifts that the Bible talks about. There are other ways the Holy Spirit works in our lives described elsewhere in the Bible. There are ministry gifts like administration and helps and service and mercy and giving and hospitality. There are motivational gifts like evangelism and pastoring and teaching and leadership and apostleship and encouragement. I've included on the back of your outline places in the Bible where spiritual gifts are discussed so that you can kind of follow up after this message is over. But these that we've looked at today give us a good idea of how these gifts can benefit and build up the community of faith, empower them for Christ's work in the world. They all have the same source, the Holy Spirit, and they all have one purpose, to accomplish God's will, God's purposes in the world. And that brings me to our big idea for today. 
What God has called you to do, he will give you the tools to do. What God has called you to do, whatever area of life that you're involved in, what God has called you to do, he will give you the tools to do. So let's get practical. How do we deal with spiritual gifts? You can have the best tools in the world, but if they're left in the toolbox unused, they are useless because tools are for tasks. So as we kind of press on into this supernatural realm of being used in spiritual gifts, here are three simple pieces of information to kind of help you kind of engage that reality. Number one, receive them. Be open is what goes in the blank in your outline. Be open to be used this way. Don't disqualify yourself from being used by God in supernatural ways to do his work. Let him make that determination. Paul says, earnestly seek the higher gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, 31. He says, earnestly desire spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 14 and 1. These are things that are desired. They're worthwhile things to, to ask for. And then, don't only be open to them, use them. Be active goes in that next blank, to be used by this way. Now, this is gonna take some faith on your part to kind of step out and follow the Spirit's leading. But Paul gives this, uh, Peter gives this instruction. Every one of you should use the gift that he's received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. They're given to us to use, not to keep, not to hoard, but to use. And then finally, trust the Holy Spirit. Be confident, goes in the next blank, to be used in this way. There are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but it's the same God who works all things in all persons. Trust him, be confident, experiment, step out, involve other people, ask them if they've seen evidence of this gift or another in your life, because they're really for the whole body. They're not just for us individually, they're for everyone. Spiritual gifts are an evidence or a demonstration of God the Holy Spirit working in and among us, enabling us to do things that we couldn't otherwise do, empowering us to serve in ways beyond our simple ability. The gifts of the Spirit are available to every believer, and actually we're accountable to use them in a way that glorifies God. Now God has given us all the gift of the Holy Spirit who in turn imparts his ministry gifts to us according to God's design for our lives. And so the Holy Spirit has given to every believer, to you and to me, those gifts that uniquely suit what he's called you to do. No Christian is excluded from being used by the Spirit in the operation of spiritual gifts. So imagine, if you will, this scenario. Imagine a community of Christ followers living out a vibrant relationship with the Holy Spirit. A place where the Spirit is active among his faithful and caring people. A place where God is experientially present in small groups and in big size groups and in worship services. A place where people are being touched and changed by God's grace on a weekly basis. A place where real human needs are being met supernaturally, addressed through the exercise of spiritual gifts. A place where God is being glorified and people are coming to know Jesus. A place where the mission of Jesus Christ is advancing in the city, in the province, and in the world. You can be a part of that picture. You can be a part of that picture that the Holy Spirit wants to create. And it all begins with the decision to be open to be used in spiritual gifts if you're a follower of Jesus 
But if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, it begins with that decision to let him into your life. And before we close this morning, I wanna give you an opportunity. If you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, I'd like to give you an opportunity to get on that journey today, to make the decision that'll move you in that direction this morning.